Well, let's take the Word of God this evening, and if you please turn your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 3, uh, this evening, Exodus chapter 3, as we uh, turn here in uh, this chapter, we are looking in chapter 3 that uh, God is going to do great things for Israel. And we know that in the first part, when God comes to Moses in the burning bush, that he speaks to him and he tells Moses what he is planning on doing. And God certainly is a great God. And he would bring the children out of, Israel, out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land through a great and mighty arm. And then after he told Moses what he was going to do, then he says, you're going to go. And so I think that we all like the part where God says, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And we know the end of the story, so we know that God did those things. But we may not necessarily like the part, like Moses, where we're going to be involved. And God has chosen to do His work. And by doing His work, He's chosen to use men. You say, Pastor, how come? Well, if I understood everything about God, I would be God, and I'm not. I'm so far removed from God. But that's what God has chosen. That's what He has done. And here, He called Moses, and He told Moses, then I I'm going to send you Moses. A and now we get to the place, after Moses basically has several questions, he asks two questions. The first one, if you remember... Uh, that he asked, he was concerned with himself he's, when he said, who am I? And I think he, the first question is one of merit. I, I think that Moses didn't think himself worthy to lead the children out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, and that's found in the question in verse 11, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? Uh, remember, 40 years before, he, he had attempted to bring deliverance and uh, he had been rejected not only by uh, or pursued by the Egyptians, but also his own people had rejected him. They said, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? And so they had pushed Moses away. And so Moses sees himself in his own attempt and the attempt of the flesh as a failure. And so here he says, who am I? I I'm not worthy. That's a question of merit. But then the sequ second question he asked the Lord is, what am I going to say? Forty years before, I tried to deliver them. They didn't listen to me. They rejected me. And so when I tell them I'm here to bring you out of Egyptian bondage, what am I going to say to them? So the first question was one of merit. The second question is one of authority. And so the Lord tells Moses, you're going to tell them, I am that I am. I am hath sent me unto you. And so after those two questions, there would be more in chapter 4. But notice here, as we begin reading, pick up where we left off in verse 16. The Lord says this to Moses, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites 
unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath uh, met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No. Not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch forth my hand and smite Egypt with my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman that bar, uh, shall borrow of her neighbor, and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. We obviously have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, but here uh, Moses has not gone yet, but we get into the practical aspect where Moses, or the Lord says to Moses, basically, I want you to go. I've chosen you as the human instrument to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage. And he basically tells Moses, you're going to go in my name. You're going to be my representative. You represent me. Because again, in this entire chapter, God has told Moses, this is what I'm going to do. Even after he tells Moses, go, he doesn't say, Moses, you're going to do this, this, and this. He says, Moses, go, and I'm going to do this, this, and this. And so I want to preach this evening on this truth that we find here in the calling of Moses, and that is this, go in the name of the Lord God. Go in the name of the Lord God. If you notice with me, he uh, says to Moses in verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers. And so when we think about, we're going to, I'm going to look at this, this text here in uh, Exodus chapter 3 and we're going to go through the verses. But then I would like for us to make an application for us today because obviously we, we are not, this is not an application for us in the sense that God hasn't, is not raising today a leader to bring um, a physical nation out of a, a bondage from another nation. Okay? That, that is not what God has called us to do. He, he's fine. He's amening and it's wonderful. <laughs> That's not what God has called, to, called us to do. However, God has called us to do something. And so I think that we, there's certainly when we look at the text in the Old Testament, we, we learn from those truths and there's some principles and some truths that we can learn, but there's not a direct application to us, but there is an application as we think about no doubt how we today as the church have a responsibility also to go in the name of the Lord God. And so we're going to look at the text, talk about the text and then make application for us today. And uh, it's important for us when we think about uh, the time of teaching and preaching that we just not learn what the Bible says, but that we know how to make application for our lives. Uh, at the end of our, the road of our lives, whenever that is, 
Uh, God, I don't think God is going to be concerned with how much we knew about His Word. I think He's going to be concerned much more with how much we implemented when we learned His Word. So as you look here in Exodus chapter 3, there are, are two major implications when we think about this command. Now God, obviously He told Moses in the first part of the chapter, I have seen, I have heard, and I'm going to do this Moses. And then He goes on to stage number 2, Moses, I'm going to use you. And now stage number three, he's going to tell Moses exactly what's going to happen. He's going to say, all right, he's going to give, I guess you could say, he's going to give Moses a number of steps to follow. And then he's going to give Moses a number of what I would say promises or we could say prophecies. But I think it's more promises because God says, I'm going to do this. And then he fulfills those promises. And so the first implication of this command to go is first of all that God gives some clear commands to Moses to where Moses knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And the second implication of this, this, uh, this word go is God, he's going to give certain or definite promises to Moses. Now let's first examine God's clear commands to Moses. Uh, notice here, obviously, we could say the first command is go in verse 16, but notice here's step number one. Moses, this is what you're going to do. Uh, now, Moses, by the way, Moses has not agreed yet. Uh, Moses, remember, he has said, who am I that I should do this? I'm not worthy. And then he says, what am I going to say to them? And he told them, you're going to say, I am that I am the God of thy father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then when you're going to come to that, and this is what you're going to do. These are the steps that you're going to follow Moses. Now, I want us to think here, because when we think about uh, often God and His Word, whether it is here or whether, whether it is in another part, when God asks uh, His people to do something on His behalf, He often gives some specific commands to accompany the task. Uh, in other words, when God says, I'm going to accomplish this, He often brings about a number of distinct commands whereby these things will be fulfilled. And the step number one, notice, involves this. Step number one is this. Gather the elders. Now, I, I think that sometimes we look at the text and we just kind of read over and gloss over. But remember now, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. He hasn't been used to crowds. He hasn't been used to leading people. He's been used to leading sheep. Now, uh, we may say, well, God, yes, prepared uh, Moses as he was keeping sheep and being a shepherd. That was kind of practice for people. Uh, I, I would uh, say that to a far greater degree, uh, ma the managing of people is much more complicated than managing sheep. And so here, when God says, go, here's step number one. I want you to gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them. And so Moses, notice step number one, he's going to have to go, and he's going to have to talk to a group of people. And remember, they already know him. Uh, in other words, 40, it's been a long time, but 40 years earlier, he had presented himself as a deliverer and they had rejected him as a ruler and a judge over them. And now God is step number one. I want you to do something. And basically he's telling Moses, try again. Now this time, I think we all agree, he has a, bit, a greater backing than he had the first time. 
Uh, he has greater authority now because it comes from God. This is what God said. This is what God has told me. But nonetheless, step number one would be gather the elders. That means he is going to encounter problems. Anytime there is a managing of people, there will be problems. Uh, that will happen anytime you find in the Word of God. Uh, even you read, uh, going to the New Testament, when it comes to the church, what did Paul have to, do, have to deal with with the churches? Conflict in the churches. Division in the churches. Sin in the churches. And so whenever you have a group of people, uh, there's going to be issues. And so no doubt it would be, step number one would be a great step for Moses to go from being tranquil by himself, talking to no one, to now having meetings with the leaders of the nation of Israel. Uh, the elders would be, as you follow the Old Testament pattern, sometimes it was one elder from each tribe, sometimes it was two, sometimes it was more, but often there was a representative from each tribe of the nation of Israel, and it was somebody that had uh, some type of authority, some type of already leadership. And so Moses is not only going to go to the people, but he's going to deal with leaders. That would make the task even harder. Moses, I want you to lead leaders. The task now is, is great. Because it's already hard enough to lead. It's going to be harder to lead leaders. And by the way, Moses is going to deal with those leaders for a long time and have a lot of problem with them. I mean, often they would say to him, Well, who? God doesn't speak just by you, Moses. Uh, they would say to him later, who made you a ruler? It's like as if they forgot that God had placed them there. And so the point is, Moses, no doubt, he is a smart man. He knows here that step number one is not going to be an easy step. You see, we, I think we, we, we were okay with the go, Moses, go. But then step number one is gather the elders. Oh. You see, I, I think often we, we may be fine with Let's go. Let's do something for God. But when we get to the specifics, that's when we get a little... Mm. Step number one, gather the elders. Step number two, what you're going to do when you speak to them is establish authority. Now notice here, he's going to say in verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them... Now here's what you need to do when you encounter those leaders... The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt. And so Moses is going to stand on behalf of God, and what he's going to do, he's going to establish God's authority. Moses, unlike 40 years before, was not a self-appointed leader. He was not. God selected Moses. Forty years before, Moses selected Moses. But now, God selects Moses, and now Moses, he's going to have to establish authority. He's going to have to tell the people, this is what God wants to do. A God wants to bring you out. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And He appeared unto me, and He has called me to bring you out. So gather the elders. Step number two, establish authority. Step number three, he says, declare deliverance. Now, I want you to think here because... He, notice, notice the language. He, he says, this is what you're going to tell them. 
Uh, at the end of verse 16, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And so notice here, God says to Moses, you're going to go to the people and you're going to tell them this is what God is going to do for you. Moses is not to go to the elders and to say, well, we're going to try. We're going to try our best. And hopefully, we can get out of this place. That's not what he used to say. Now, can you imagine in the position of Moses to put yourself in his shoes for just a moment? And when you go to the elders of Israel and God says, go and tell them that they will be delivered, what do you think about what you would say? Hey, it hasn't happened. Nothing has happened as far as with the king of Egypt. He's going to talk to the elders first before he goes to the king. And when he goes to the king, he had already announced to the elders, God is going to deliver them. Now, the Pharaoh's not going to listen, but don't worry, God is going to deliver us. Can you imagine the faith it would take for Moses to say that? To say exactly what God said. This is what God said he's going to do. He's going to do it. That's faith. For Moses to say exactly what God said, it would take faith in the steps to declare deliverance before it even happened. And that shows, no doubt, we read of Moses, we think, wow, he doesn't seem to be confident, but he seems to me to be a man of faith. Uh, no doubt not perfect, but a man of faith to be able to declare to the children of Israel, that's what God is going to do. Step number four. This is the, the step, I guess, that's what Moses is going to do because he says, gather the elders, establish authority, declare deliverance. He says to them in verse 18 that God says to Moses, they're going to hearken to you. But notice what he, he says in verse 19 to Moses, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. So here is step number four, Moses. And here is step, and I think that don't, don't misunderstand uh, as if this step is easy. It's actually, I think, pretty hard. Step number four is this. Watch God do. Watch what I'm going to do. So Moses, here it is. Gather the elders. That's going to be tough. Establish authority. I've raised you up to bring them up. That's going to be hard with the leaders. Then you're going to declare deliverance. You're going to have to speak in faith. Confidence in what I'm going to do. And just so you know, after this, when you speak deliverance, you know what's going to happen? The first thing that's going to happen? The king's going to say, you're not going. As a matter of fact, we're going to find a little later, the king is going to make it harder for the children of Israel after the meeting with Moses. And the, the elders are going to come to Moses and they're going to get mad at Moses because now the burdens have become harder. And the point here is there's going to be again, 
there's going to be the ten plagues. Now, we'll talk about the, those in just a moment, but plague number one, uh, and then the plagues go away, and the Pharaoh says, well, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. After some of the plagues, says, well, I'll let you go. And then he changes his mind and says, I'm not going to let you go. And so what, what would happen is Moses would have to, at some point, he'd have to sit back and watch God do something. Moses has done all that God has asked him to do. To gather the elders, establish authority, declare deliverance, and watch God do something. That's the commands. And here, that's what he tells Moses. So he, notice, now God is going to use no doubt. He's going to tell Moses specifically to do certain things. But the point is, the miracles and the wonders that God is going to do is not going to be by the power of Moses. It's going to be done by the power of God. And so all Moses is going to be used is going to be used as the instrument. But the point he's going to... He, can you imagine when God says, all right, put your rod in the river and then I'll turn it to blood. That was an act of faith when Moses went like this. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? Everybody's watching. What if it doesn't turn to blood? Faith. Watch God do. You know, I think that an important step that we find here for the life of Moses that is often neglected is it would take ten plagues. Not one, not two, not three. Ten plagues for the Egyptian king to finally said, you can go. Faith. Watching God do His work. So, that's God's clear commands for Moses. But then, Accompanied with God's clear commands, we see God's certain promises to Moses. Now, I want us to note here that these promises were not made good in one day. As a matter of fact, it would take a length of time for those promises uh, to come uh, to, 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 to be fulfilled. And so notice here, promise number one that God gives to him and remember, Moses ha has had some trepidation about going. Uh, we're going to see into chapter 4, he, he says, I'm not eloquent, and so he's going to enlist Aaron, or God's going to enlist Aaron into uh, the work there. But notice here what he tells them in verse 18. Here's promise number 1. Ready, Moses? And they shall hearken to thy voice. Who? The elders. So notice here, God said, now, command number 1, go to the elders. That's going to be tough. But God then delivers a promise and He says, they're going to hearken. They're going to listen. Uh, they're going to, if you would, He tells Moses in some measure, they're going to get on board. Go to chapter 4. I think it's right across the page there, chapter 4. Uh, notice verse 29, Exodus 4, 29. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. Did, did Moses follow step number 1? He did. Verse 30, And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and he did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. So there it is. God told Moses to do something. Moses did it. God promised that they were hearkened, and they hearkened. Isn't that wonderful? When, that, when it works that way? That was promise number one. Promise number two is the king will not listen. And that is a promise. Right? Notice verse 19. So after he says, the elders, they're going to hearken. Promise number one, that was fulfilled. Promise number two, number two, verse 19 of chapter three. I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. 
And so when we think about that uh, promise, was that fulfilled? Well, go to chapter 5 of Exodus, chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And so there it is. Uh, God promised that the king would not listen. And we read in that encounter, the king does not listen. Over and over again, after each of the uh, wonders that were done by God, they're going to go back to, to Pharaoh and they're going to say, God says, let the people go. And over and over again, he's going to say, I'm not going to let the people go. Sometimes he gonna, he's going to make some compromise. He'll say, well, uh, have a, a certain number of people go out. Sometimes, well, some of the men go out, but not the women and the children. And so sometimes there were compromises. But the point is, he, he, there was, uh, he, was, he would not listen. He would not let the people go. And so the promise number two, that was fulfilled too. And so Moses had to endure through all of the back and forth, going back and forth, and no doubt in the position of leadership, he's thinking, well, how long can the people handle this? I've said that God's going to deliver them. I've spoken in faith, and now they've been waiting all this time, and it seems that by, uh, you could say, wonder number nine, it's never going to happen. Just one more. You know, I, I wonder how many times... Maybe if we uh, think about how God works, if sometimes we might give up before God is done working. Moses, you're in the position now where you need to watch God do. You know, there are times in our lives where I think it's important for us to say, you know what, I, I just don't see what else I can do. I need to watch God do something. Amen. So we see the elders shall hearken. Promise number one, fulfilled. The king will not listen. Promise number two, that was fulfilled. So maybe the question will be asked then, after God said to Moses, go, tell him to let the people go. He will not listen. So we might say, well, what's the use of going then? What is the use of going? I like what one preacher said. It is not for a servant to question the master's orders. It is for him to obey. Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. He's not going to listen. Well, why would you want me to talk to Pharaoh then? Isn't that what we might think in the flesh? Jeremiah, same thing. God raised up Jeremiah. Go to a people. Jeremiah, they're not going to listen. And we might think, well, why then go and talk to them if they're not going to listen? Because God said so. Because God said. God is God and we are men. And we have to realize that. And we have to be very, very conscientious of that. Uh, that He is the Master and we are the servants. And it is not for the servant to question the Master's orders. It is for the servant to obey the Master's orders. Promise number one, the elders will hearken. Promise number two, the king will not listen. Promise number three, if we go back to chapter four, is that the Lord will smite Egypt. Notice verse 20. And I will stretch forth my hand. Now notice he didn't say, Moses, you're going to stretch forth your hand. Now is Moses going to stretch forth his hand? Yes, he's going to do things by orders of God. But God lets him know beforehand that when he does any act that people will see, it's not Moses doing it, it's God. I will stretch out my hand 
and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will let you go. Now, I think it's interesting here that God doesn't tell him ten. He just says, wonders. How many? Well, I'm not sure, but, uh, well, God knows. Moses doesn't know. But the point is, God's going to do mighty wonders. And after the wonders are done, he will let you go. What's the amount? It's not given to Moses. It doesn't concern Moses. Moses, all he needs to do is just watch God do. Now, it would be ten plagues. Do you remember? And we're going to go through them. Plague number one would be the water would be turned to blood. Exodus chapter 7. Then it would be the frogs everywhere. Can you imagine that? Now, I know the kids would love that. But none of us adults would like that. Then there would be lice. Well, maybe Greg might like the frogs everywhere. <laughs> then flies everywhere. I, I, I don't like flies at all. As a matter of fact, my family knows this. If there's a fly in the house, I can't sit down and eat lunch. I have my electric zapper. And it's sitting right beside the table. And so anytime there's a fly, I will not sit down until that fly is gone. Because I don't want that fly flying around and then landing on my food. I know where they've been. And so we see flies, then we see the death of cattle. Now the cattle would be not just cows, it would be all livestock. All types of livestock would die. Then there would be boils, then there would be hell, then there would be the locusts, then there would be the darkness, and then there would be the death of the firstborn. Uh, and we're going to look at that. It's interesting that each one of those plagues was an attack on one of the Egyptian gods. Now, there were more than ten gods in Egypt. But the truth is, the Egyptians, they worshipped the Nile as a god. And God smote the Nile with blood. Uh, they had a god that looked like a frog. And so God says, you want to worship the frog? I'll give you a bunch of frogs. Where they got tired of all the frogs. And so then all the frogs would die. Can you imagine the, the stench everywhere of dead frogs everywhere? And then you have the lice and they're itching everywhere. They're uncomfortable. Uh, they, uh, they, and then there's a swarm of flies. There's just flies everywhere upon the dead carcasses and your food and your bed. You can't sleep at night. Then you have the dead cattle. And so there's death everywhere. There's dead animals and there's the ten stench of, in the heat of the day of the, the flesh of animals that is uh, going on and permeating the land. And then the, not only is there, there's, is there the stench everywhere, but then they get boils in their own bodies. They can't sleep in their own beds. There's stench everywhere. And then the hell comes, and then it burns much of the, of the crops and much of the, of the land of Egypt. And so the, the land now has been devastated by the land. And then God says, look, if there's anything left, if there's anything green left in Egypt, then I'm going to send the locust. And so then the locust would pass through the land, and everything green would be gone. And then after that, God shuts the lights off. Just so that people could think a little bit about the power of God. And then God killed the firstborn. The Egyptians worshipped the Pharaoh as a god. The firstborn son of the Pharaoh would be the next god. And God says, I'll kill the one you think is your next god. See, God took care of all the Egyptians. God, there'd be many more than that, but these are some of the main gods. They worship the sun. We'll go into those, and so let me not get ahead of myself. But 
the Lord is going to smite Egypt. That's a promise. And by the way, that promise will be fulfilled. Then we have promise number four. So the elders will hearken. The king will not listen. The Lord will smite Egypt. Promise number four. Uh, notice um, verse 21 of chapter 3. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. In other words, the children of Israel as slaves were poor and their condition of living were not great. But when they're going to leave, they're not going to leave empty-handed as slaves. They're going to leave with great substance. Notice verse 22. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor, that's going to be the Egyptian neighbor, and of her that sojourneth in her house, um, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So you're going to leave with the riches of the Egyptians. Now, this, when, when God says this to Moses, understand, we, we know it's fulfilled in Exodus, but it was also prophesied. Go with me back to Genesis chapter 15. You remember when God spoke to Abraham, He talked about how the descendants of Abraham would go into a strange land, and there they would dwell in captivity for 400 years. And so in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord is speaking to Moses, I mean to Abraham, sorry, we're switching characters there. Genesis chapter 15, and notice here with me, as he talks about this prophecy, uh, notice what he says in verse 14, and also that nation whom they, uh, Genesis 15, 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve, will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. There it is. God had prophesied to Abraham many generations before, then when he judges that nation where his descendants would be in, that after they leave, they would come out with great substance. And so here God reiterates the same thing uh, to, to Moses, and he said, they're going to leave with great substance. Now, did that happen? Go with me to Exodus chapter 12. So Exodus 12, after all the plagues, the last plague happens in uh, Genesis 12, it was, announced in Gen uh, it was announced in Exodus 11. It happens in Exodus 12. Uh, and then we come to Exodus 12, verse 33. Notice with me, Exodus 12, verse 33. Well, let's look at verse 31. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were, uh, uh, were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Well, no kidding, right? All the firstborn have died. So the Egyptians, not, not Pharaoh, all the Egyptians, let's get these people out of here. And the people took their dough before it, uh, it was leavened, uh, their... Uh, needing trousers, uh, being uh, bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egypt Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. I like that. They lent and they borrowed. <laughs> They're not coming back. And so the Egyptians, they're so excited to see them go. They're like, yes, take the silver, take the gold, take it all. 
Just leave. They're not coming back. That's what God said. By the way, God said that to Abraham in Genesis 15. Then God repeated to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and then we see it happen. How many times do we need to see fulfilled prophecy to not trust God anymore? It's quite amazing to see those things unfolding. So, God tells Moses, Go in the name of the Lord. And here is a set of clear commands for you, Moses. And here is a set of certain promises for you, Moses. So we see that. How do we apply that? Now, we are not in Moses' boat. So I can't say to you, all right, you see what God did for Moses? He's going to do that for you, and He's going to want you to go to Egypt and to bring a people to some nation. No, no, uh, we don't have that command. I think we need to realize here that God may commission us to do a work for Him. I think we read throughout the New Testament, and we are called unto certain things. God has given us a, a commission. And... Uh, the truth is, we think about the life of Moses, and we think, okay, remember what God tell, told Moses, he's going to, Moses, you're going to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage, you're going to bring him to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, now, let's realize this, that did Moses see the land? Did he get there? He didn't get there. You see, the promises were not for Moses. They were for the nation. As a matter of fact, remember that those who would come out of Egypt and who were on the cusps of going into the promised land, did not believe, and so God wiped out that whole generation. So it was not for those individuals, it was for the nation as a whole. And so those nations got to the place, so God then, they wouldn't go in, and so God wiped out a whole generation, and He brought in the next generation after them. And the truth is, Moses, some of those promises that said, this is what God's going to do, were not for Moses, because when Moses died, God still carries on His work. He's still going to move forward, and He's going to raise up Joshua. As a matter of fact, turn, turn with me to the book of Joshua. So, after the book of Deuteronomy, we know that Joshua dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. We open the book of Joshua. Now, I, I, I think that some people would say that Moses, probably the greatest leader in the Old Testament times. Uh, most people, Bible students, would, would say that. Notice Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give, give to them, even to the children of Israel. Moses, the great leader, he's dead. God says, move on. We might say, well, that's, that's cruel. Shouldn't we have like a... By the way, we don't even know where he's been buried. Shouldn't we have like a, you know, a, a proper mourning time? Or shouldn't we wait? Maybe, uh, maybe Joshua needs to be tried as a leader before we go... In. No, no, God is moving on. Moses is dead. Now therefore, arise, Joshua. 
You see, God may commission us to do a work for Him, and we may even die before the determined issue appears. But notwithstanding, the divine purpose will be realized. God says, Moses, I want you to do this. I'm going to bring the people out, and they're going to, I'm going to, you're going to bring them into the land. Moses is going to die before he gets to the land part. Was the death of Mo, did the death of Moses cause the plan of God not to be realized? Absolutely not. We say, why? Because it's not about Moses. It's not about Moses. From Exodus chapter 4, God says, I'm going to do this. And I will let you be a part of it, Moses. You can be part now. You may not know all that will happen, but I want you to be involved in what I'm going to do. And you know, in the same measure, God is doing the same today in our lives. God is God and He is great. He's going to do great things. And all He says, you, you, you don't even have to be involved, but God basically says, you want to be involved? You can be involved if you want to. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do a work. Do you want to be a co-laborer with God? That's what Moses... Moses, by the way, was called the friend of God. God spoke with Moses face to face as a friend speaketh to a friend. Uh, Moses is no doubt a great leader, but the truth is he is nothing compared to God. I want to make application here because when we think about, let's bring it down, and certainly I could have gone many directions here, but let's try to talk generally about the church. You see, when we think about the church as a whole, God has given a clear command to the church. And with that clear command, God has also given certain promises to the church. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, so obviously we, we cannot apply directly the commands and the promises that were given to Moses. Right? That's not our agenda. Our, the people of our ethnicity are not in Egyptian bondage. We don't have a call to bring them out. But we could say that we have, just like Moses, we have a commission from God. We have something in the world that God wants us to do. Now, Matthew tw chapter 28 is one of those commands. Now, we know this. We've just been through our missions conference. We talked a lot about this. But notice here what God or what Jesus Christ says to his disciples after his resurrections in verse 19. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So here is the command for the church, and here is the steps. You ready? Step number one, go. Step number two, teach all nations. The word teach is, uh, is make disciples. Preach the gospel. Teach all nations. Step number, th uh, step number three is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Step number four, teaching them, those who are saved and baptized, you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so there is, for the church, that's us, the clear commands 
for the church. Go, teach, baptize, teach. So, that's what the church is supposed to do. Now look, I, I could have taken other things, but this to me is the clearest, most evident one. Go, teach, baptize, teach. So these are the commands. But do you know that God has given certain promises to the church too? One of those appears right here in our text. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So here it is. Promise number one. Here is God has the steps for us, the commands. Let's do those. But here God also gives us promises. I will be with you. So God, first promise from God is His presence. His abiding presence will go with us. We are not alone. He goes with us. If we go to Acts chapter 1 verse 18, Jesus told His disciples right before His ascension, He says, And ye shall receive power from the Holy Ghost. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so we have a, a second promise is that we're going to receive power. And we know when the day of Pentecost came, they received power and uh, the, it was the power to preach the gospel. A little later they pray. You remember, they, they have the command of God. The command of God was to preach the gospel and they were just told, you can't preach anymore. And you remember what they pray for? They ask for boldness and then God gives them boldness to preach the word. He empowered them to preach the gospel. That's a promise from God. God says, I will be with you and I'll give you power to preach the gospel. Boldness in opposition. But here's another promise. Much like Moses. You ready for this one? Many will not listen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, notice with me, now he, he's talking about preaching the gospel, how beautiful are the feet of them, and preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. Uh, notice Romans uh, chapter 10. Well, let's look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they uh, preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith Lord who hath believed our report now again chapter 10 and uh, chapter 11 he's talking about uh, Paul is talking about his brethren his kinsmen according to the flesh he's talking about his fellow Jews that did not believe and he says, many have not believed. Well, the word he uses is, uh, they have not all obeyed. And as a matter of fact, we say the majority of them have not obeyed. And, and then he says, but by the way, Isaiah prophesied of that. Well, that's interesting. Do you see, it's much like Moses. God told Abraham, here is what's going to happen. And so then God reiterated it to Moses. And then you see it happening. And here, Paul says, hey, remember, many of the Jews have not believed, but by the way, Isaiah prophesied that they wouldn't, and then we see it happen. It's not just the Jews. Go with me to John chapter 15. Remember what Jesus Christ told His disciples? 
Now in John chapter 15, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He says that he's going to go away. Uh, the disciples are, are of a sad countenance, and he encourages them in chapter 14 by telling them, Look, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, man, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But he says to them later in John chapter 15, and here's, here's, this is a promise from Jesus Christ. John 15, notice verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that, I've, that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So, isn't that what Jesus Christ promised his disciples? The world's going to hate you. The world as a whole, they're not going to listen. That's also a promise from God. Perhaps that's why you don't find one prayer request in Acts for the persecution to cease, for the hatred to stop, because it's a promise from Christ. What do they ask? Lord, we already know that's going to happen. So Lord, what we want is we want your power and we want to be aware of your presence as we go in the mouth of the enemy. So promise number one, the presence of the Lord. Promise number two, receiving power. Promise number three, uh, many will not obey. Most will not listen. But here's promise number three. Some will believe. Some will believe. How many? I don't know. Lord, uh, or Moses, talking to, Moses talking to the Lord. H how many wonders? It's not for you to know. Just watch, you watch what I do. Lord, how many will believe? We know the world's going to reject them. Most people were, but how many will believe? It's not for us to know. We're not God. But some will believe. Paul wrote to the church at Rome early on. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, some will believe. That's a promise from God. So when we think about those, we have the commands. And then we have the promises. So, we're not in the place of Moses. Okay, He had a set of commands for him. And he had a set of promises. There's a lot though that, that Moses didn't know, but there was, but he, let me put this, there's a lot he didn't know, but he knew enough. He knew enough to carry on. Lord, what's the timing of things? It's not for you, Moses. I'm telling you, this is what I'm going to do. You just come underneath and you just watch what I'm going to do. You just obey. You do your part, Moses. And then you let me do the rest. So, if Moses had not done his part, 
Could God have done the rest? Now, look, I, I know it's a hypothetical. We know Moses did it. But the point is God uses instrumentality. The Bible talks about how we can limit the Lord. We can do that. How can he? he isn't he sovereign? Doesn't he do what he wants? Uh, yes, he, he is sovereign. But often we can limit the Lord. Jesus Christ, when he was in Nazareth, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, God could not do more miracles because they rejected him. He wanted to do much more. But because of their unbelief, he could do no more miracles, although he wanted to do more. So I think that when we think about Moses, Moses, get to the place where you just do your part, and then God will do his part. And so, the variable is not God, it's Moses. The variable is not God. It's Moses. God does not change. He is consistent. He is not the source of failure. But man is. And so when we think about bring this to the church, God wants to do great things. But God has also chosen to do human instrumentality. And so I think what he asks of us is he's got a set of commands. Go, teach all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things. And here is a set of promises that I have for you. I'll give you power. I'll be with you. Many will not obey. Some will believe. Do your part, and I'll do mine. And then just watch what God does. Do, do we understand that? So, so, obviously here, we're not in the times of Moses, but we are in the times of the church. So the commands for Moses are not our commands. The promises for Moses are not our promises, but we do have our own set of commands, and we do have our own set of promises. And the variable in both cases is not God, it's man. In Exodus chapter 3, it's Moses. In the New Testament church, it's us. So the question is, are we then limiting what God can do because of our, our refusal to be involved. To do the command part. Maybe what we need is just to get into the place where by faith we step and we just do the commands. Or maybe the places we just need to be refreshed with God's promises so that we can walk by those promises. And not when we think about the promises for the church, we think that, you know, well, I don't know if I can do what God wants me to do. Well, he said he will give you power to do it. Well, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm afraid that, that I'm going to be ostracized. The Lord will be with you. Well, I, I just think that, look, more, most people don't want to listen. True. But again, as it was for Moses, it is not for the servant to question the master's orders. It is for him to obey. Pastor, we've been here for five years and we knock on doors and talk to people. Most people we talk to, they don't even come to church. You're right. And you know, I, I've met pastors who have told me, look, we don't do evangelizing anymore. It's, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. As if the fact that it didn't work meant that now it's okay to disobey God. God didn't say, do this because it works. He said, do this because I'm God. Mm -hmm. 
And so, we might say, well, look, I, I just, Pastor, I, I just haven't seen, I've tried to witness people, I've, I haven't seen anybody believe that I have had a direct impact on myself. That's not our concern. Let's just get involved and see what God will do. God did wonders in Egypt, not Moses. You know, God can do wonders today. God's still in the business of saving people, and He wants us to be involved, to evangelize, and to be faithful in those promises. And let's just get to the place where we just are, are uh, satisfied with just obeying God. Not looking for the result. Well, you know, I, I'll try it for, for a certain amount of time. If it doesn't work, then I'll just give up. No, no, no. Let's just obey the Lord and trust Him. God is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Could it be that God, we, we, we don't see God do, not because God is not mighty anymore, but because we are not involved? Is that the possibility? I don't think we can say, well, the gospel has lost its power. I, I don't believe that. Or we, we can't say God has lost his power. We, we can't say that. But I do think we can say that maybe there is a lack of involvement on the human part. So let, let's ask for to, to help us with that. I think that certainly we're not in the place of Moses, but I think we can carry those principles for us in today. And to ask ourselves, maybe in the same place where Moses was, and ask ourselves this question. And by the way, God may commission us to work for Him, and we may die before the determined issue appears. But notwithstanding, the divine purses will be realized. God is coming again. Now, it could be in our lifetime, but it could not be. But you know what? If Jesus Christ doesn't come in my lifetime, I know He's still coming. He is. He will do what He said He will do. And so throughout the course of human history, I have one opportunity. I have one shot at it. And Moses, if you ask Moses, Moses, I mean, you're retired. You're 80 years old. Sheep, I mean, you have a comfortable life. Just kind of coast. You don't want to be involved. I, I, I ask myself the question, why would Moses step in the place where he was, I guess you could say on the sideline, just keeping sheep, the Bible says in Acts chapter, he was content to dwell with the man and just be, hey, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't need to be involved in anything. And somehow we, we might ask, well, Moses, why would you do it? I mean, look, you said yourself, you're not worthy. You said you would say your, yourself that you're not eloquent enough. You said yourself, I mean, you had already tried before and now you want to try. What caused you, Moses, to try to get up from the place where you were and then start serving God? What would Moses say? Well, I think that as we look at this text, the only thing that Moses could say is, well, God wanted me to be involved, and He gave me a set of commands, and then He gave me a set of promises, and so I just chose to obey Him. And the truth is, I'm not that great of a guy, but the truth is, I saw God do great things. Just because I got involved in God's program for the deliverance 
of the children of Israel. And you know, the program of the church is the deliverance of the lost souls. That's the program of the church. And that's, a, by the way, that's a great program. That's a great program. So may the Lord help us to consider those truths that we find and try to bring those to our present day. Go in the name of the Lord God.